travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia, episode 97, Travel Photography with Justin Mott. Almost everyone takes photos when they travel, especially to Asian countries, which tend to be very colorful, vibrant, exotic, and smiling faces abound. With most people now having a high-quality camera in their pocket, photo sharing sites like Instagram being popular and social media everywhere, it seems everyone's a photographer. On this episode of Talk Travel Asia, we'll chat with professional photographer Justin Mott about his work, some practical shooting tips, and more. Dust off your lens and get ready for a fun and inspiring episode. From Bangkok, Thailand, this is Scott Coates, and with me as usual is... Hey, Scott. Trevor Ranges here in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. How you doing today? So, yeah, what's up? I'm, I'm, I'm doing good, man. We did a photography episode a long, long time ago, and... Uh, you know, we just got chatting about it and we came upon our guests through uh, a recommendation from a listener, actually. And we thought, you know what, it's time to dig a little deeper into this. And, and let me ask you, Trevor, like you, you've written a couple guidebooks when you travel around. Um, how do you take photos? What kind of photos do you take of, etc.? Well, you know, I mean, most of the time when I was writing, my photos were mostly just for notes. So I took lots of photos of signs and stuff like that just to help me kind of remember things when I was writing. Um, like working with National Geographic, I worked with the photographer. Um, before that, when I was traveling for my own enjoyment, I used to travel with a, an old Super 8 movie camera, and I had a 35mm camera in waterproof housing. So it was cool. way before the digital era. And then I sort of just stopped traveling mm -hmm. with a camera altogether for many years. And interestingly enough, it was on my last trip to Siem Reap a couple of weeks ago that I broke out my camera for the first time in, in a good year or so. And uh, it was actually a really cool experience. You know, being able to really focus on taking nice photographs uh, was, a, a, you know, a different way for me to travel again. Yeah, it's. I did notice on Facebook over the last couple of weeks, you've posted quite a few photos. You know, me, I used to do it a lot more than I do now. I remember I bought a Canon sort of DSLR camera, and I'd really enjoy framing shots, and I did a little bit of post. And then, you know, I guess as iPhones got better, and, you know, the camera gets better, I just was unwilling to carry that camera around. And I think in some weird way, then I didn't feel as comfortable maybe like, really trying to get a great shot or framing properly but I do still enjoy the odd good photo but I don't do it as much as I did and I hate to say it I think part of it is just there's so many post tools now and everyone seems to be a photographer so I don't do it as much as I used to but it, it is I mean it is you, you've got the camera in your pocket now it's so much easier to do and, and it is a fun thing to do and something I, I really should get into a bit more yeah, you know, again, with the photos from the phone, uh, I had been taking phone photos, but I just realized that, like, I wasn't quite getting the quality I was getting from a camera. Um, so it was really mm. cool to bring out my camera again. So I'm kind of excited to have our guest on today to, to give us some tips. 
Yeah, and just before we bring him in, let us give a shout out and a thank you to everyone on Patreon that sponsors us. And if you don't know what this is, we have a page on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com, search talktravelasia.com, or go to our homepage, talktravelasia.com. Look on the left, there's a donate button. And what we're asking for is a little bit of financial love and sponsorship. Trevor and I pay for the hosting, the editing, everything that makes a show go out. You can sponsor us from a dollar up per episode so please help us out sponsor it if you like it and uh, let's get our guest in here our guest is american justin mott a professional photographer that lives and works in vietnam after studying photojournalism at san francisco state university from 2002 to 2006 he was inspired by philip jones griffith's book agent orange collateral damage in vietnam and in 2007 moved there to live full-time where he calls hanoi home we're speaking with him via skype from hanoi welcome justin hi guys thanks for having me today yeah, we talked a little bit about your background uh, in the introduction, but could you tell us a little bit more about where you're originally from and uh, what drew you to Vietnam? Sure. I grew up in, in uh, Rhode Island in the United States. I moved to San Francisco. I was studying photojournalism there at San Francisco State University. Um, I worked with a bartender there, a really great guy. He was a Vietnam veteran. I always wanted to travel. And shortly after my father passed away, I sort of wanted to go on a little journey myself. I had about a year left of school. Um, and a year left school for journalism, I decided to travel to Vietnam with my camera. The, the bartender I worked with always talked, even though he fought in the war, he talk, spoke highly of Vietnam. And I decided to make a trip out here for a few months, saved up some money, and I really fell in love. I was inspired shooting here. I like shooting in San Francisco, but there was nothing like shooting here and the stories that I started to pursue in, in, in Cambodia and in Vietnam. And I just, I, after that, I went home a few times. I never graduated. I never really went back. Uh, I went back a few times just to settle some things, but I really fell in love on that trip. And, and that was over 10 years ago, and I've lived out here ever since. All right, we're going to get to the photography, and I'm going to ask you almost an unfairly huge question right at the start here, Justin. So what do you love about Vietnam? You know, most people are going to hit you with, I love the food, but I'm, I'm not a big food person here because I'm a vegetarian and most of the food here I can't eat. <laughs> okay. As a visual person, I fell in love with, with uh, the people here. Uh, I, you know, because of my background in documentary and, and photojournalism, I like stories, I like photographing people. So wandering around Hanoi just with myself and my camera, I really fell in love. And then I met some great photographers. When I went to school, it was very competitive, uh, really competitive, trying to get in internships, trying to win contests, trying to get into all sorts of different things. And when I came here, everyone was so friendly to me, so open. All these guys that I knew, I met a, a photography club, they took me around everywhere. And I was just visually inspired here. And, and, and not just Vietnam, but this entire region. Southeast Asia. Hmm. Super cool. We had a guy named Cameron on an episode uh, 75, I think, Vietnamese uh, vegetarian with Cameron Stotch. He wrote a whole book about it. Have you seen this book? No, I haven't. I should check it out. Okay. We'll send you the link. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That was a different second episode because we had uh, Adam uh, Platt Hepworth. He's a vegetarian and he, we did an episode just about being vegetarian in Asia. So uh, we got some good stuff for you. Uh, but that sounds cool. I, I totally relate to you wanting to, to stick around Vietnam and just how like vibrant it is probably definitely through a photographer's lens because I was spending a lot of time in Vietnam around that time. Um, but Scott mentioned in your introduction, the Agent Orange Project Legacy of Horror uh, and, and he had a note here that it was in Newsweek magazine. So that sounds pretty cool. How long ago was that? And what's the story with that? 
It was that, that that was my first big break when I when I came out here on that trip. I also did a workshop in in Cambodia with a very famous conflict photographer named uh, Gary Knight, and he did a workshop that really attracts a lot of um, am, not really amateurs, but like I, I guess uh, not photographers, but people that love photography that have a lot of money. His workshops are quite expensive, but I I reached out to him to see if I could get sort of a student discount, and he he let me do it at a discount. And told me never to tell anyone, but I guess it's, that's yeah. over 10 years At ago. At least so 2,000 people are going to know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I did that yeah. workshop. Um, uh, that was amazing. And th- the reason I bring him up after that really taught me I want to do stories. I want to do stuff that's really deep. And when I was in the U.S., I was reading a book by, by Magnum photographer Philip Jones Griffith. And he had done a book about Agent Orange. The first time I looked at pictures that really made me made me weep and made me feel something. When I looked at his book, you know, back when he used to go to bookstores and, and, and flip through books, it, it made me cry. And, I, you know, I consider myself a, a person that doesn't cry so easy. But when I looked at those images of the victims at Age Orange, it really made me cry. And I felt, you know, it made me believe in the power of photography, which was really nice. And, and I started to believe I, I can do something like this. And I wanted to tell this story in my own way. And at that time, multimedia stories were becoming a big thing. So I started doing, uh, you know, video and audio and, and mixed in with my photography. So after Gary's workshop, I came here. I did, the, I did a story about Agent Orange. Gary really, uh, during my workshop, I was horrible. There was 10 students in that workshop. I was easily the worst one. Uh, Ten years later, I think I'm the only one who's working as a professional photographer. So it shows you it's not about talent. It's more about sticking with it. But Gary helped me. uh, Even as a bad student, I did that work, and I think it came out quite powerful. And Gary helped me get in Newsweek. At the time, I didn't know anybody. uh, He he said to put his name in the subject line of an email to the editor of Newsweek. They bought the piece. They ran the piece. And my career really took off after that. So thanks for him, and thanks for that discounted workshop (laughs) that... Really got my career going, and that led to a lot of work with with the New York Times after that. Yeah, well, I spent some time a couple of nights ago on your website, justinmott.com, and we'll link uh, to all your kind of Instagram and different sites from our show notes on talktravelasia.com. Um, you got some incredible stuff there, and we'll get into a bit of it. But you know, uh, we are a travel podcast, so can you tell us a bit about maybe some of your favorite areas in Vietnam to travel and take photos? Yeah, I, right now I'm working on a personal project about Vietnam. That's sort of I'm going back to all the places I've I've shot on assignments through the years and and visiting all my favorite places. So it's good, it's fresh in my mind. What are my favorite places to shoot? Well, I, easily my the the best place I've ever photographed in Vietnam. Be, I like Hanoi for its own reasons, but I live here, so maybe I'll, that's and that's a little obvious. But um, Hazang in the north of Vietnam by the border of China is is such a beautiful untouched uh, part of Vietnam that people don't think of. You know, it's, it's colder weather up there. It's in the mountains. You have a lot of minority tribes. Uh, it's similar to Sapa, but no tourists, if you can imagine. Sapa is flooded with, with tourists, and this area is not developed at all. I had I went up there for the first time with a group of the group of Vietnamese photography friends that I told you about, that club. They mm-hmm. showed me around. Then I had a story a year later for the New York Times, a travel story up there. And, you know, I go back every few years, do a motorcycle trip with friends, or I go by myself, and just... It's just a great place to take pictures. It's so gorgeous up there. Awesome. You have just stated one of the big places on my list the last 10 years is to kind of do that northern <laughs> awesome. loop on a motorbike. Yeah, it's amazing. You take you take an overnight bus and you rent a bike in Hazang province and from there you go mm. on a little journey. That's that's the best way to do it. But, it, you know, it, it's traveling for more experience. You can't just go up there on a train and buy a ticket as a tourist and have it go to a tourist hotel. you got to... You got to figure out how to get by. You know, it's good to go with someone that speaks a language if you can't speak Sweet. a language. Uh, but yeah, it's it's beautiful. I love it. I love it up there, and I've I've I, I'm always inspired every time I go up there to shoot. 
You know, one of the things that, like, uh, I'm here in Cambodia. I recently spent some time at the Angkor temples, and and you know, like, I, it was one of the first times that I traveled with a camera for a while. Because uh, for my work, I don't necessarily need to always take high resolution photos, so I take a lot of photos with my camera, right? But then sometimes it's really challenging to capture something grand. Let's say like a, a giant valley of rice fields in Vietnam um, with either a, a DSLR, which most people aren't carrying. I mean, most people do shoot with the smartphone now. So, do you have any tips for how to best capture some of these like awesome places, uh, you know, either with a, a reasonably good camera or with a phone. Yeah. I'm a big advocate of, of traveling with, you know, if you want to get into photography of traveling with a dedicated camera, people will argue that having your phone, you know, having that, that on you at all times and a phone is great quality, but I, I'm really into, because I like to photograph people and, and I really like to slow down and I like to be thoughtful about my images that I, I don't like to shoot with my camera phone. Of course I do selfies and, you know, little memorabilia stuff with, <laughs> with uh, I mean, memory shots and things like that. But when I really want to capture something, I don't want my phone, I don't want to shoot with my phone because it's filled with distractions. And it, it, it causes me not to be in the moment. I think mm. it can be quite rude to your subject. You're, you know, you're posting, you're checking, oh, you might get a comment, you might get an email. I really like to just... The only thing there's a lot to think about to craft a nice picture, right? You know, there's a lot besides the technical aspect. There's a lot to think about aesthetically in the moment. So I really prefer. You don't need the most expensive camera. I mean, I like to have good equipment because I'm working for clients that demand it. But if you're shooting for yourself, you're shooting for fun, or you just want to get started, you know, just having a camera, any camera that's just dedicated to photography, I think you're going a step in the right direction because you're not distracted. I'm really, I really push for that when I teach workshops and I talk to, to young photographers or, or beginner photographers is to, to put your phone down and, and just get a dedicated camera. It's not because of the quality, but it's more just because the the mindset it puts you in. Yeah. I almost, you know, that I never even thought of this before, but like, cause I was at a rooftop bar with a photographer that I was hosting recently and they wouldn't allow him to use like a proper camera camera, like a professional camera to shoot at the top. But mm -hmm. he was saying that like, you know, like the new iPhone X like has such an amazing camera on it that you could almost just buy the phone just to use it as a camera and not, not load it up with a card and whatnot. But, yeah, uh, you can. <laughs> yeah, you know, the quali the quality's good. I just, you know, for me, I really like to be. I I like the aesthetic of holding something in my hand. I like to be. You know, I I can easily get distracted when I'm on my when I'm on my phone with messages, phone calls, checking this, posting this. I, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm even going backwards where I'm I'm currently about to invest in a a, a Leica camera that actually has it's a digital camera without a screen on the back. It mm. sounds bizarre, but I I used it for a couple of days and I fell in love with it. It was amazing. I only thought about photography. My my images were so much better than they normally are, and I was in that place that I was when I first started in my career. That's mm, super nice. cool, man. I, I never thought of the distraction factor. That's a big one. I just try and avoid socially with my phone. So that's a neat thing in connecting it to photography. Well, um, we're going to go a little deeper on some of your projects later, but just trying to think of a few practical things that the average traveler, while they're on their trip, could do. We're going to focus on a few different kinds of photos and, and get you to share a couple tips, hopefully. So sure. imagine like everyone takes a landscape photo on their trip and lots of them, they're out taking landscape photos. What are a few kind of easy wins that you think people can do to get good landscape photos when they're traveling? Yeah, the first thing you could do is a good vantage point, you know, climbing up to the top of obviously don't get hurt, but I'm climbing trees. I'm, um, I'm trying to get on top of buildings to look down a better angle that I can get to look down upon mm. a valley or, you know, now with drone photography, if you can afford a consumer drone, if it permits in that area to shoot, I think they can, you can do great quality things with drones. I've really been getting into aerial photography and it's not so expensive. I mean, that that's more for you got to spend a lot of money for that, but just you know, getting getting a good vantage point. I think just in general, getting better 
people tend to travel in groups. So to get better pictures, I think it's nice to, even if you're traveling with a, a friend or a significant other or a group, spend a little bit of time alone. I think you'll meet people, you'll find new things, and, and again, you won't be distracted. I'll, I'll probably keep talking about that because I, I think that's really important, <laughs> you know, but hmm. spending a little time, obviously not the whole trip, but it, maybe you go for a, a walk at sunrise. You know, you're in you're in Hazong and your significant other likes to sleep in, so you might get up at five, go for a walk for two hours. You'll meet new people, you shoot things, you're not talking to that person, you're just focused on, on shooting, and it, it's just a great way to explore too. Great tip. The next uh, thing up was something that I had a bit of difficulty with at first, just because I don't know, you know, not having taken any photography classes or anything, but portraits and photos of people. But then when I gradually learned by not traveling with the cameras, I like to stop and like chat with people and like get to know them a little bit, you know, like in everyday situations around Cambodia. And that's actually when I'm like, oh, you know what? I have my camera now. Do you mind if I take a picture after the fact? So my tip has always been just to kind of like build some rapport and then ask them if you could take your photo just because you want to remember them or something. But what's your trick for getting good portraits? Absolutely. I mean, portraits really about that. It's about that human connection. I think it's also a responsibility as a foreigner to make sure that people, you know, sometimes in other countries, the culture is so polite or people pretend like they're comfortable, but I think it's important and we have a responsibility to make sure these people, you know, when you are photographing somebody to make sure they're comfortable, make sure they're not just doing it to be polite, but uh, you know, read, read the signals a little bit, understand the culture, but yeah, I talk to people, uh, you know, I like to uh, you know, show people images. If, if you're gonna, if, if you promise to send an image to somebody, do it. And, and, I think it's a nice thing to promise to do. People appreciate that. And also, it's kind of like as a fraternity of photographers, pro or amateur, it's nice to follow up when you promise to do something so people actually like us as photographers because <laughs> a lot of people say that and they never do or they show it in the digital camera. But there's something nice if, if you can afford or find a way to make a print really nice. Like I even travel around now with a little Polaroid and I think that's kind of fun so I can give someone something they can remember. Uh, I think that's kind of a cool little thing. And, and it, you know, it's a two-way street when you take a portrait of someone. So you want them to open up to you a little bit so you can you can get that nice natural moment. But it's it's also fair for you to give something back and to open up to them and, and share. And I think being honest is important too, why you're taking this photograph. And if I'm, if I'm doing travel work and it's just for me, I just tell them that. If I'm doing a story and it's not something I'm trying to do secretive, like a not investigative journalism, then I'm, I'm honest to people about how long I need from them, what the purpose of the shot is, and, and things like that. Wow, that's awesome, man. So you said you travel <laughs> with a little printer to print the photos? Oh, I have a little Polaroid. My wife oh, bought right, me right. A, a fun little like uh, instant camera that I take with me, which is kind of a fun way to give people you know, something back. Yeah, that's great. Man, your uh, New York Times drug addiction in Phnom Penh, uh, you know, a piece that you did that's on your website really kind of inspired me with the portraits. That was pretty awesome. So kind of shifting really gears from something slow like portraits to action. I mean, I think you're living in Vietnam where motorbikes are whizzing by all the time. How does someone get a good action shot of the frenetic life in Asian cities? Yeah, you have to anticipate, and that just comes to experience. You know, to, to get a good moment, if something only happens once, you have to dial in your settings ahead of time, be really patient. I mean, I'll sit and wait. If I see a beautiful wall and I wait for the right subject to come through, I'll just sit there and wait, or I, I see really nice light and I'll wait for the right person to walk through that. I'm a strong believer in, in you know, especially when you're shooting journalism is to not set things up to let let things happen naturally i think when when you set something up you're you're probably creating a shot you've you the you've done before or that you've seen someone else do so getting something natural is a lot harder but the reward is a lot better because you'll get something completely unique you know life happens quite beautifully on its own so i always feel like let it happen but to get to that level to get the nice shots you really have to be patient and anticipate 
Yeah, okay. Here's something that's maybe the flip side of that. Because again, like <laughs> I, I was hanging out with a journalist recently. We went around the Angkor temples. And then we went for lunch and we ordered some food and I ordered a curry that was served like a coconut and they had like nice tableware and stuff. So he ended up putting it on the floor because the wood and the lighting looked really nice. So like it, the, the photo came out really good. So we certainly do want to shoot food photos and people do that all the time, right? Uh, but that's a different ball game, yeah? Yeah, I mean, when you're shooting food or you're shooting uh, commercial work or you're shooting portraits, you're setting things up that, you know, I always think the bar is raised a bit on those shots, too. I remember my teacher used to tell me when when you're shooting a portrait, you control everything. You've picked the subject unless you're doing an assignment. But, you know, even if you if you didn't pick the subject, you pick the background, the color, you position them, you get them to open up. So everything better be perfect. Then that, that has always been in the back of my mind when I do a portrait is don't be lazy about it. Really try to figure out what you're trying to capture and make sure everything is perfect like be patient and but yeah when when i'm just shooting street photography it's it's much more about anticipations and anticipation and patience okay well um your current project is as above so below where you're shooting stuff from a drone and i don't know if you've got a pro camera attached to a drone with your partner Nguyen, but can you tell us about that project and how you got those shots yeah, so I've started this ongoing personal project for the last ten years. I've been working my butt off, and and it's funny because you, you know, you you work so hard, so you can you want to do these projects in the beginning, and then you get so busy that you can't end up doing any work for yourself. So I've really gotten away from that, and I've been kind of bummed out that I haven't done personal projects in a while. So I was thinking about something I could do in Vietnam, something lighter. I've done a lot of heavy stuff throughout my career. I wanted to do something lighter. I wanted to do something for Vietnam. I mean, the best I can do and what I can do. I'm a photographer, so what can I give to this country? You know, my photography. That's that's what I do best. That's what I know best. And so I thought, well, how can I do this in a way? What what kind of project could I do that I'm interested in? Something that people can benefit from, and a little bit lighter. And and I've been interested in aerial photography because of the work I've done for hotels brought me into that. Mm-hmm. I have a great drone pilot I work with in in Vietnam. It makes it easier too because he, you know he's. It's easier for him to shoot here, so I basically guide him. So each above has a matching below. I'm doing a series where I'll go to all the provinces of Vietnam. It'll take me several years. I've been working on it for two years already. Uh, I was lucky enough that it was just featured in National Geographic. That was really nice. That that was a big boost to the project. But it's all self-funded, all for me. And then when I'm done, the pictures will be – photographers won't like this, but the pictures will be open-sourced. to the people of Vietnam to use commercially uh, online. I'm not going to just you know send people prints all around the world as they want because that get expensive. But I'll let people use it to promote Vietnam, to promote anything about Vietnam. So it's going to take me a while, and I, I I always wanted to do something different, and I've never seen anyone do anything like this. So Diptex, a series of two images, so every above has a below, and so I'll go out to these different provinces. I'll try to find something. Sometimes it's more abstract. Sometimes it's it's a little bit obvious. It could be a rice you know a rice farmer in a field a portrait of them in the below and then an overall shot but sometimes I'm doing things more abstract with with textures and things like that so the project is still I've done about four sections already mm. and you know it's still coming together but it's it's a place personal project for me I think for any creative person but you know for me in photography it's really it's it's a time to experiment so that's what I'm doing and and so far it's going along really well I'm really happy with it so just real quickly, do you have a pro-grade, like, full-on DSLR camera attached to a drone, or how's it actually shot? No, you know, what? We, now it's it's quite nice is with the DJI has these, you know, these, uh, they have these drones now that the quality is quite nice. You know, I was using something quite big, but that can get expensive and get bulky. It's risky. Your camera drops and you're out 20 grand. Instead, we use a $2,000 uh, 
camera, but it's it's nice. I can print the the quality on it. The the, hmm. the, the good good camera on it, and so that's how we do it. It's somewhere in between Extreme Pro and and consumer. Cool. <laughs> so, but it's the quality is really nice for me. Cool. And well, then everything I'm shooting below is with a with an SL with a, a medium format camera. Yeah. Well, it's a super cool project, and we'll link to that to, again from our show notes. And just one more question on that project. Like in there, you had a quote. I missed the sharing of. Uh, I missed the sharing part of photography. Like, tell us more about what does that mean? Yeah, like, you know, when, when, when I started at school, we would share. And that's how you really got good. You shared with the, uh, shared with the teacher, shared with the class. And then, and then as you get busy and you get work, you're not sharing so much. And when you share, you look like you're bragging. And, you know, you're, I, I just miss having the communal part of photography where you're taking pictures, you're sharing with people, you're getting feedback, and your pictures are actually doing something positive. Of course, commercial work is positive for my wallet but it's nice it's nice to do something with meaning so this is one of many personal projects that I'll start I'm, I'm next month I'm going to Kenya to shoot I'm a big wildlife person and, and not in wildlife photography but I like stories about people that do things with wildlife so I'll also be working on a story about um, rhinos in, in in Kenya the last two remaining white rhinos and that's another self-funded project. I just I don't like to wait anymore I'm 40 years old I don't wait to get assigned these projects I'm just going to do them with my that's the benefit of my commercial work and working my butt off with that stuff is I, I'm self-funding these projects now and, and saying, hey, I'm interested in this. I'm going to go shoot it. Yeah, you know, to, it really sounds to me like uh, because you're, you've been so passionate about it that, like, it's really about the, the art, you know, whether it's a Polaroid camera or a drone or commercial work or, um, you know, like passion projects. Uh, it's interesting. Like, you know, did you ever did you shoot back in the film days before there was digital? Do you still no, ever a little shoot bit? With film? And, and when I first started, I had a, a Leica M6, and I shot a little bit in Venezuela and and Bolivia, and and I didn't develop my own film, but I did shoot film, and I, I do miss that feeling of of the unknown, and that's why I kind of was interested in that 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 camera without yeah. a digital back, as crazy as it sounds. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's fun because I really do focus on on you know, hey, a thoughtful picture, and that's all I'm thinking about, and the camera has zero bells and zero whistles, you know, it doesn't do anything, it just, you dial in the ISO, the shutter speed, the aperture, and you focus it yourself, and that's it, you're not looking at stuff, you're not distracted, I'm not overshooting, and, and I think it makes me a better photographer. Yeah, I mean, clearly you have the passion, but like, because I was thinking about it earlier that, uh, I was a travel writer back in the days before the internet made it possible for anyone to become a travel blogger mm. or writer, you know, and if you started out like long, like you know, old enough ago that like uh, now everyone can be a travel photographer as well, you know. But it seems like really that the difference would be like it's the passion that leads to the commitment, which leads to learning more, which leads to shooting more, right? And then uh, so anyone can become a good photographer if they. Uh, yeah, I think anyone yeah. can be a photographer, just not everyone get paid to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hard. It takes time. You have to really put in the work. It's it's not just the. You know, you you can take nice pictures, but you also need to be able to. I think the difference between a a, a working photographer that gets paid is, uh, even in travel, it's sniffing out a story and it's telling a story with your images, not just making pretty pictures. Understanding the story about each location. Yeah, you know, well, because I I did some writing for National Geographic as well, and so I worked with a photographer, and uh, I always just joke to him, I'm like, you know, I have to like read books, interview experts, and then you show up and press <laughs> a button. I'm like, it's really not fair. <laughs> I think for some, I mean, you know, I I. I, I do my I do my homework, but I work with there's there's something that to be said about the old days where you were teamed up with a writer. I mean, when you d and a writer with a photographer and a photographer with a writer, that doesn't happen as much anymore. It's a shame, but that that team can really help each other out. I mean, a writer can really think. When I used to work with the the 
sort of the, the area guy for, for New York Times out of Bangkok and before he retired. I mean, we were a great team. He was an older veteran photographer. He mentored me, taught me a lot. But, you know, he would find stuff and I would find stuff for him. Oh, this will work well. Oh, you know, your visuals really helped me to remember this when I'm writing the story. Or, you know, I, he, he's helping me find this interview. Maybe I'm off shooting something else while he's interviewing the fishermen. I'm on the boats with the fishermen and sometimes we're together. But it, that... The budgets aren't the same and the industry's not the same, but that was a fun time when you'd, you'd go on these stories together and, and shoot together and work together to tell this craft this story. But unfortunately, that, that way of doing things is dying a little bit. Yeah, it was kind of nice for me, again, as a writer, not to have to worry about the burden of taking the photos, right? But at the yeah. same time, like, I was like, wow, you know, I'd like to be able to just point a button, press the button too, you know? So yeah. I asked him, I'm like, what what camera should I buy? You know, that's something easy for me to carry because I do have to focus on my writing. But I, I ended up buying a, a Canon G10, which fit in, like, your, your shorts pocket or your jeans yeah. pocket and still took good photos. This was 10 years ago, right? So what do you recommend now for someone who's not super serious but wants to have a good camera? Do you Can you recommend? a good small camera for someone to travel with yeah it depends on your budget i always tell people you know it's the pick up a camera make sure you like the way it feels because if you like the way it feels you're more likely to take it with you um but yeah if you're rich and you can afford something expensive i think a leica rangefinder is amazing if you need something more on a budget um you know these sony and canon and nikon all make these great mirrorless cameras now they're a little bit smaller they pack a big punch i mean start with something that you can change lenses in so that at least you can you can upgrade later on if you really want to get into it. You can you can buy lenses. Lenses hold their value quite well, but digital bodies tend to not hold their value so great. I mean, they keep going, you know, they keep upgrading and, and changing. Mm-hmm. So get get just get something you can you know a digital SLR so you can change lenses. I think mirrorless is probably the way to go nowadays. And buy something really honestly for the way things are are published online. You don't need something fancy. I mean, I have a fancy camera for my commercial clients, but they pay me a good amount of money, so. And I need to deliver that kind of product. But if you're just shooting for the web, buy a camera from a few years ago. You get a great deal on it and it, it won't break your bank. And then you'll take, you know, I never like to say a camera takes great pictures. The photographer does, but it'll help <laughs> you take great pictures. I, I saw on uh, your page that you're the host of a History Channel show, Photo Face Off. I mean, tell us about that experience, how it all came about. What, what's that all about? Yeah, so for the last five years, I've I've been the host and judge and the 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 ugly face of uh, of a, t- a reality show called Photo Face Off, done by History Channel. It's uh, History Asia, which is throughout Southeast Asia. It's out of Singapore, but we film in every year. We change, but the core countries are are uh, Vietnam, Thailand, Singapore, Malaysia, um, Philippines, but we've also filmed in Taiwan and where else have we filmed? I'm, I think I'm leaving. Oh, Indonesia as well. And so it's a reality show for amateurs. Amateurs get a chance to to represent their country. Uh, the show evolved through the years, different formats. But the the gist of it is, amateurs get to compete against each other, represent their country, and sort of like the Olympics of photography. Different challenges. I'm their judge. I'm kind of a jerk on the show. I don't think I'm <laughs> a jerk in real life, but the show needs a little bit of drama, so I'm kind of mean to them. And then that because a lot of the contestants were so nice, they're very polite. Like, and that's not great for TV. So I had to play the evil American. And then they get a chance at the end to beat me. So it's not great for my ego because if I win, I'm supposed to win. If I lose, I look like an idiot for losing to an amateur. But it's sponsored by Canon. We've done the <laughs> show for years. It's been a lot of fun. I don't, I, I'm very comfortable in front of a camera, but I had never done anything like this at the time. A friend of mine worked in the industry. He said, Justin shoots everything because I do. I mean, I've shot weddings, I've shot commercial work, I've shot journalism. So he's like, this guy would be great for it. He's silly, he's fun. 
as you can see, I don't shut up, so they edit me, but I, I definitely have something to say. So uh, <laughs> I did the show, and I didn't even know after the first year. I thought I was just like the guy on the show, the contestant. I didn't realize I was actually the face of the show because we had a very beautiful woman who was the host from Malaysia, and she had a lot of TV experience. And then when the show came out at the end of the year for the promo tour, I was like the face hmm. everywhere. I was really surprised. Wow. That's how naive I was. I didn't really, I didn't really even know. I was like, oh, I just think I'm the guy that they're, you know, using as the antagonist. And and uh, <laughs> I'll have to find out. the Gordon Ramsay, the Asian Gordon I Ramsay. Do, I, it's uh, stupid, but I try to learn from these guys. They know they've done this right, so I try to learn from them. I just, I say the things that I would want to say in real life to them. I'm honest. Like I don't, if I really don't like the photos, I in real life, if I was doing a workshop, I'd probably be a lot more nurturing, but I just now am brutally honest with them. And yeah, it's bad. I make people cry <laughs> and it's fun. It's dramatic. And at the end, it's playful. I'm not like really mean to them. I talk to them off camera and, and yeah. try to help them with their careers and things like that. But yeah, it was a lot of fun, a rare opportunity. I mean, it's one of the nice things about living in Southeast Asia. I've had opportunities that I probably wouldn't have had in the United States. Um, so bringing it back to travel as we... Uh get closer to our time can you share some of your favorite spots around the region just in, in anywhere in asia that were your most memorable photo locations so people can make sure to bring a good camera on those trips yeah things have changed a lot here every country's going through different cycles i won't get too into politics but different influence and what you're allowed to shoot and where you're allowed to go but one of the best places i ever went to outside of vietnam and and it goes back and forth about opening and closing up but was Myanmar. I really loved going there. I shot there. The first time I went there, I kind of went pretending I was just a tourist, but I was actually there on a travel story. And I just loved photographing that country. And, and it it reminded me how Cambodia was a long time ago. I love shooting in Cambodia too. People are so friendly there. It's so easy to photograph them. Uh, it's The colors are great uh, and people are so welcoming. But Cambodia and Myanmar, I absolutely love it. In Cambodia, I love going out to the countryside uh, taking a motorbike, just going way away from any city outside of Phnom Penh, outside of Siem Reap, up to Korong or, or uh, Boker Mountain. I know that's changed a lot nowadays, but I, I would recommend to anyone, you know, in any of these countries, like rent a motorbike, make sure you know how to drive it, wear a helmet, but get outside <laughs> of a city, wander wander around a little village, wander around at sunrise uh, when the light's most beautiful and interesting, in, interesting things happen. In Southeast Asia, at sunrise, you get to see how you know how different towns run and what happens early in the morning as 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 places awake. There's a lot of action actually, unlike you know where I'm from, people would be sleeping at that time. But I I love Myanmar and I love Cambodia as, as a. I also obviously love Vietnam. Cool. Well, um, tell people how they can see some of your work and learn more about you, Justin. Sure. If people want to follow me on Instagram uh, and sort of everything I have on social media is askmot a s k m o t t. Um, my website where you can see my, my photography is justamot.com and I have my YouTube channel which is youtube.com slash askmot where you cool. can see uh, you can follow my project and you can see a lot of behind the scenes and a lot of photography tips on there as well that's sweet man uh, and we'll have links to all those online uh, sites and whatnot on our show notes uh, man this was a super interesting interview uh, Justin thanks so much for uh, giving us your time thank you guys I really appreciate it thanks for having me yeah thanks Justin enjoy the rest of your evening so, Scott, what do you think, man? That guy is pretty passionate about his trade. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed that talk. Like, I mean, I like all of our episodes, but, you know, some episodes you get a more dynamic guest than others. And, I mean, he was just, yeah, he's that conversation flowed. He's super into his work, super humble. You know, I really, I guess the one part that really grabbed me, and because of the last couple of years I've really been interested in how phones are impacting us and distraction and stuff was, 
just his comment about why he doesn't like mobile phones for shooting really is, is you know, you get a message, you got to check this and that. So he likes just to have a camera in your hand. So it, it immediately made me think of just one of those little cannons that you can buy for like 150 bucks. And I can see it. If you go out and shoot, just be focused on the shooting, be focused on what you're doing with no other distractions. So I really like that part. Yeah. Again, like I said, uh, I, I was with my camera up in Siemri, up in Angkor last week and uh, hadn't really carried a camera or taken photos with the camera in like a year maybe and, and even like not that often in, in recent years um but it's really fun you know like again like you do tend to shoot fo- phone photos all the time mm. um just out of regular habit but there is a difference when you're when you're holding the camera and you're thinking about the light and you know cameras got more settings or at least they're easier to change the settings and uh you know, again, get out there in the morning with the beautiful light and yeah. talking to people and then getting photos of them. It, it is it actually makes it a fun experience. Yeah, I you know, his his work is really amazing. And I encourage all the listeners to like go through his website, look at some of the projects. But he had some real good practical stuff there, like the landscape tip, you know, like climb up on top of something, just get a different angle or perspective on it. I really like that. And I love that he travels with a little Instamax Polaroid camera to give people the photos too you know even just showing people your screen with the photo or i've mailed photos to people like he said before and there's nothing worse don't say you're going to do it if you don't but like yeah he shared some really really good practical tips and i like that he you can tell he just he really has a true connection in his heart with what he's doing and the and, and people and the whole his whole thing his his work is his passion right i, I love that yeah, and again, uh, I guess you're right. It's a totally different ball game uh, listening to a photographer talk mm. versus looking at his photos. So again, yeah. uh, have a look at our website, uh, talktravelasia.com. Uh, we always have really good show notes. We'll have links to all of Justin's work, and uh, and and it's really cool. So go check it out. Yeah. Um, Scott, take us out. Yeah, the last thing is uh, we need your financial love, people. Uh, So please help us out. You can make a donation, a monthly contribution on Patreon. If you go to TalkTravelAsia.com, you'll see a link on the left side of our webpage or go to Patreon.com, search TalkTravelAsia.com. Support starts from literally a dollar a month. Trevor and I pay for the editing, the hosting, so we do need a bit of financial love to keep this going. Thanks so much to listen to this. We will have a new episode in two weeks. Thank you. Adios from Bangkok. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Cambodia?